0: Hey, Rivertree family, I'm so excited you are here today because you picked a fantastic time to be here. We are in our summer series looking at the seven deadly sins and the seven loving acts in this problem that has plagued humanity all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We have had some amazing teachings in this series and today is no exception. Our guest preacher today is not only the executive pastor over all of our Rivertree churches, He's not only the lead pastor at our Rivertree Lake campus, he's not only a doctorate, and one of the smartest people I know, but he is one of the best leaders and one of the best people that I know. So, hey, join me, Rivertree, in welcoming to the stage my good friend, Dr. Josh Little. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know if I can live up to that introduction, but uh, I'll tell you this, it is such a joy to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to continue this series that we've been in on the seven deadly sins and seven loving acts. But before we jump in, I just have to brag on your pastor a little bit. Can we just give it up for Jeremy and Lucy Redmond? I'll tell you, um, my wife Becky and I have had the privilege of getting to know Jeremy and Lucy and their family uh, really well over the past couple years. And I'll tell you, they love you all so much. Like, you have a godly, compassionate, wise couple leading your church, and they have just been a gift. And so I would encourage you, before you leave here this morning, to pull up your phone and send them a text or uh, an email, just encouraging them, building them up, because they truly have been a gift, not just to Rivertree Jackson, but to all of our Rivertree churches and to our region as a whole. And I'm really excited to see what God has in store for Rivertree Jackson moving forward as they're leading us into the future. I know you guys have been in this series on the seven deadly sins. Last week, Greg talked about the deadly sin of pride and what it looks like for followers of Jesus to be people who walk in humility. The week before that, Jason talked about lust and what it looks like before God's eyes to live in purity. And before that, Jeremy talked about anger. And what it looks like as a follower of Jesus to be someone who extends forgiveness. When I was listening to Jeremy's sermon on anger, it reminded me of something that happened in our household a couple weeks ago. Um, I was in the the backyard with my two daughters. Uh, I've got two daughters, Elsie, who's five, and Avery, who's three. Go ahead and cue the awe, right? Oh, you guys get the hang of it, right? So I was with my two daughters, and I was in dad mode in the backyard. They were playing at our tree house in the back of our lot, and I was like a good dad keeping a watchful eye while watching Center on my phone. And as I was doing that, I heard this cry come out of the corner of our lot, and I could tell that it was our daughter, Elsie. She was in tears. And so I ran over to Elsie, and I knelt down. I said, honey, what, what happened? And she said, oh, Avery hit me. I'll tell you, in our household, we don't allow hitting. So I go over to our three-year-old Avery and I kneel down and I say, Avery, did, did you hit Elsie? She said, no. I punched her. <laughs> and that's when I knew that the seven deadly sins have a home in the little household, right? I would venture to say that you, you would say that our world has, has really taken captive to these seven deadly sins, Like, all you got to do is take five minutes on Facebook, right? And what you're going to see is lust and anger, envy, pride. But when it comes to these loving acts, when it comes to these these aspects of following Jesus faithfully, they stand out from the crowd. Like when you see somebody who extends forgiveness when someone's wronged them, or you see someone who lives in in purity, When when you see somebody who... Instead of being proud and, you know, puff their life up, they live in humility. Like, it just stands in stark contrast to the world that we live in. And the same is going to be true for what we're going to be talking about today. Today, I want to talk to you about greed and generosity. Now, I'm just going to say this. Uh, It just seems convenient for me that Jeremy's on vacation when we're talking about money, right? You know, I'm like, "Give give it to me to talk about money. But it's just a part of life, right? I mean, you think about it, like money is just so central to our lives. It, 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 it consists of so many of the fights that we get into, so many of our worries, our concerns are about money, and so why shouldn't we talk about it? God has something to say about it. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about this a little bit with you. Greed in the New Testament, it's, it's really interesting. When it comes to the word greed, it's this word pleonexia. Can you say Pleonexia. You guys are Greek scholars. You got it, right? Pleonexia, it's this covetousness. It's this aggression. Basically, if I were to sum up what greed is, it would be this. Greed is the insatiable desire to accumulate money, possessions, and security. And when we look at the life of Jesus, there's this moment, this time, this story, where there's this guy that's wrestling with greed He's wrestling with his possessions, and and Jesus uses it, this opportunity to to talk about what it looks like to follow him faithfully as a disciple. And I just want to encourage you, some of you are here, and maybe you don't know Jesus, you're not sure what you believe about Jesus. You might be here, and you followed Jesus for decades, or you're somewhere in between, but wherever you are, I just ask you just to be in a humble posture to receive whatever the Lord has for you today. Because I know this, I know that God isn't done with each of us. That every single one of us, there is this call towards further Christ likeness. So if you got a Bible or you got the Bible app on your phone, I want you to turn to Luke 12. We're going to pick up in verse 14. Luke 12, verse 14. While you turn there, I want to give you a little bit of context to this story. Jesus is teaching among the crowds, as he often does. And as he's teaching among the crowds, there's this man who approaches him. He's going on teaching, this man calls out, and this man wants Jesus to step into a family squabble. Him and his brother, his father has died, and his brother has received this inheritance, but, but this man didn't get any of it. And so he calls out to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I want you to tell my brother to divide the inheritance equally among the two of us. Any of you here ever deal with family drama? Go ahead and raise a hand. I know more of you have, than right? Come on, right? We all deal with our own stuff. We have our own issues in our families, different dynamics. Well, this man wants Jesus to step into the family drama. He says, I I want you to step in and, and really get my brother to fall in line to share what's rightfully mine. But Jesus doesn't choose to step in the middle of this. Instead, he chooses an opportunity here to speak about greed. And you know, this is just so interesting, right? Greed is so powerful in relationships, particularly family relationships. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like it has the power just to cut through those relationships like a dagger. And so what we see here, Jesus talks about it. He says, Luke 12, 14, he says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Can you guys say that last part with me here? Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Let me just try one more time. Ready? Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Here's the truth. I've spent time with poor people who are greedy. And I have spent time with rich people who are greedy. I have spent time with poor people who are generous and I have spent time with rich people who are generous. And you know what it comes down to? Like the differentiator between them? It, what it really comes down to is what's your life built around? Because greedy people, like, stuff is at the center of their life. We might say it this way, right? What a person possesses, possesses them. You know what I'm talking about? When you're consumed or, or worried or anxious all the time about stuff, when it's just, it, it motivates everything you do, all the decisions, right? That's what this man is, is wrestling with. And so what ends up happening, right, is, is Jesus is trying to speak into this guy's life and say, hey, you know what? Like, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You do not. You're not made to be possessed Why? by what you possess. I've got this joke. If you don't laugh, it's not gonna hurt my feelings. You guys ready for it? That did not feel assuring. okay. Lying on his deathbed, there is this rich, miserly old man who calls to his long-suffering wife, and he tells his wife, I want to take all of my money with me, so whenever I die, I want you to put all of my money in my casket, okay? So after the man dies, the widow attends the memorial service for this man, and she's with her friend. And just before the undertaker is going to close the casket, she takes this metal box and she puts it in the coffin, and then they end up closing it. And the friend, her friend looks at her and goes, surely you didn't put the money in there. And she responds, I, I did promise that I would, so I got all of it together and I deposited it into our account, and I wrote him a check. And if he can cash the check, he can spend it. That's my joke, okay? But okay, all right, thank you, all right. It's easy to be possessed by what we possess. You know what I'm saying? Where the stuff in our life takes hold, and we just feel consumed with worry or fear. That's easy. So Jesus is going to talk about that, so he tells this story, right? We're going to continue on. Verse 16, it says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty. So here's what you should do, right? Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God came to him, and he said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. You know, my wife Becky and I, um, we've worked really hard with our kids on manners. Any of you here, parents, try to work really hard on manners, right? You know, it's so interesting to me. It feels like every day we start over, right? I feel like every single day, I'm like, you know, no. When you ask for something, you say please. When someone gives you something, you say thank you. We've done this for years, over and over and over again. You know what's interesting? You know one of the things I never had to teach my kids? I've never had to teach my kids the word mine. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like never. We never sat down with them and said, okay, when you're trying to describe something that you have possession of, you use the word mine. Never had to do that. It's just like it, they just came downloaded with that. And it's so interesting to me when we're having conversations, I will hear out of the corner of a room, I'll hear, that's my unicorn, right? No, that's my slime. And if you have slime in your house, get rid of it as quickly as you can. Ruins carpets. Uh, this is an aside. We bought a new carpet for our living room, and our daughter Avery decided to take blue slime and smash it into the carpet. And I was like, Jesus, help me. So get rid of the slime in your house, right? That's mine, right? That's my toy. That's my coat. That's my dress. It's just so interesting to me that it it feels like we are born with this preoccupation for stuff. And from what I hear from you all that have older kids, it doesn't get better the older they get, right? It's just the stuff changes, right? You move from slime to a car, right? Or slime to this or that or the other, right? It's something that we wrestle with. This man in this story, he, he ends up having this abundant harvest, and he has to decide what to do with the overflow. It's not that he came into this harvest immorally. It's just that he's had a good year. And so he's trying to figure out, what should I do? And he goes, oh, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger ones. That's what I'll do. But what's interesting, interesting to me in this story is how often this man uses the first-person pronoun of, like, me, I... Mine? Five times in two verses, this guy says, this is my grain, my surplus, my barns. This is what I will do. I think I should do this. This will make me secure. And no other person is mentioned in this story. See, God's not mad at him because he's wealthy. He's not mad at him because he's rich. He's, He's mad because he's not rich towards the things that God cares about. Like God has given this man everything he has, and he hasn't used what he's given him to, for the things that, that really stir God's heart. See, greed is so sneaky because it, it takes time to incubate. It's not like one day a person is super generous and the other day they're really greedy. It doesn't work like that. It takes time just to incubate and grow, but once it takes hold of your heart, it's really hard to shake it. See, greed leads us to live discontented lives. You guys ever heard that saying? It goes like this, how much do you need to be happy? You know what the answer is? A little bit more, right? Isn't that true? Becky and I, uh, we have this uh, guilty pleasure. This is church, so I should confess this, right? Um, We look at Zillow. Any of you look at Zillow? You know where I'm going with this, right? So Zillow, if you're not familiar, it's this website or an app that's got all kinds of houses for sale and we have a house, like our house is fine, right? But we just have this knack for sending each other links to houses where we go, oh, could you imagine if we had that backyard? Oh, it'd be so cool. Some of you are laughing and looking at each other because you know, right? This is true, right? Oh, did you see their kitchen? Oh man, if we had a kitchen like that, right? Oh man, you know, our, our ensuite's okay, but like this ensuite, right? this is like MTV Cribs, right? Like, that would be amazing. We just have this knack for never being satisfied with what we have. Do you know what I'm saying? You trekking with me? It's like the stuff we have, we go, but they have that. And that just drives us over and over and over again. You know what greed also does? Greed makes us believe that we're owners instead of stewards. It's easy to think that all the stuff that we have is, is ours instead of God is the one who gave it to us. We're simply stewarding it. So it's my wife and my kids and my house and my pension and my cars. It's mine. We kind of mixed that up when we got greed having a hold in our hearts. But, you know, I think the most dastardly thing about greed, I've just seen this in my own life and maybe you've seen this too, is that greed destroys our ability to trust God. Here's what greed does. Greed makes us believe that God is a God of scarcity and not plenty. I grew up with this mentality. Um, I I grew up, my mom is a barber. My dad worked for FedEx as a courier. We didn't have a lot of money. And then when my parents split when I was eight years old, we had less money. And I remember we were living in a one-bedroom apartment. We were all nestled into one bed. And I remember thinking, like, there's just not enough like there's not enough, so you just got to take care of yourself. That's the only thing. You got to take care of your life because there's not enough, so you just take care of yourself. It's this preserving mentality. And it's easy for us just to have that view where it's like you got to take care of yourself. No one else is going to take care of you. But we neglect to remember that right now, right now, where you are is a product of God's faithfulness. Right now, if you panned out from your life, you would see story after story of God's provision in your life. Of how when you were in need, God provided. When you were in a pit, God brought you out. That's what greed does is it just shakes us. It just makes us think that all of this is just built on us. I heard this story once, maybe you've heard this too, about a woodpecker. There's this woodpecker who is pecking on this tree uh, but he doesn't see that the, the weather is getting tumultuous. And he keeps pecking on this tree when all of a sudden this lightning bolt comes down and strikes the tree and it splits into two. So the woodpecker kind of looks around. He looks at his wood, woodpecker friends and he's kind of like, I didn't know I had it in me. <laughs> I know, I know, guys. This is why the last time they had me back was 2016, okay? Because the jokes weren't good. But it's easy, right? We, we think that the reason we are where we are is solely because of us. And we take God out of the equation. It's easy to do that when greed has a hold on your heart. We forget that God is the one who provides. God's the one who's faithful. But here's the good news. The good news is this, that there's an antidote to this sickness, right? If you're wrestling with greed, if you've got problems with greed, the truth is that generosity combats it. Can you say generosity? Generosity. Can you say it like you mean it? Generosity. All right generosity combats this ill, this sickness that occurs within each of us. Rather than a scarcity mindset that occurs with greed, abundant mindset is is married with generosity. It's the understanding that God owns all of it, and we're simply stewards. That, That God cares for us, provides for us, and He'll sustain us through everything. That's what generosity is, understanding this isn't isn't mine, it's God's, and God's calling me to steward it, to to impact people's lives and to further his kingdom. That's what generosity looks like. See, generosity, it's it's God's trademark. It's how he works. Our God is a a lavish, generous God. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 7. He says this, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He goes on to say, "Which of you, if your sons ask for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more I love that phrase how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts? To those who ask Him. If we had time this morning, we could sit down, break some bread, and we could just share story after story of how God has given you good gifts, how God's provided for you. I mean, that's what we're celebrating, that's what we're singing, right? Is that like God is just so generous towards us, He's given us forgiveness, healing, friendships. Grace, he's, some of you here have wrestled with addiction and God has given you freedom. He's healed your marriage. He's resurrected your relationship with your children. And in the most crazy demonstration of generosity we've ever seen, God gave his son Jesus to die on the cross and resurrect from the dead that you and I would have life. John puts it this way. John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. But catch this. God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. You know you know what I think a crime is for the church? I think a crime is that the truth of that, we become desensitized to. Like something happens where when we first come to Jesus, it's amazing grace, right? And then we keep going along and it becomes like interesting grace where we're like, oh yeah, Jesus died and raised from the dead. And if we're not careful, it just becomes grace. It happens with us where we lose the wonder. Just we're not taken back by by the sheer magnitude of the God of the universe gave his son that we would have life. Like that should just take every single one of us back, that we should just be in awe and wonder of a God who would do that, who would be that generous towards us. I mean, isn't that amazing? The generosity of God, the goodness of the Lord. You know, at times I think that we end up missing the forest for the trees. This world does something to us to make us cling to things and neglect to remember that Jesus is greater than those things. Jesus is greater than donut holes. Did you know that? Some of you are like, no, I don't believe that. He is. He's greater than pickup trucks. He's greater than brownies. Ice cream is close, but Jesus is still greater. Jesus is greater than guns, home improvement projects, fancy cars, nice houses. Jesus is greater than those things. Jesus is greater than Netflix. He's greater than guitars and cell phones and computers. He's greater than Disney. Any of you Disney fans out here? Disney's great. Jesus is greater He's greater than vacations and staycations. He's greater than governments and politicians and presidents, political parties. Jesus is greater than your failures, your sin. He's greater than your shortcomings. He's greater than your fears. Jesus is greater than your brokenheartedness. He's greater than racism and sexism and corruption. Jesus is greater than mental illness and stress, addiction, worry. He's greater than cancer, car accidents, bullying, miscarriages, relapse, unemployment. He's greater than you. And God knows He's greater than me. Jesus is more wise, more compassionate, more generous than I could ever imagine to be. And here's the cool thing you and I are made in His image. We come alive when we are generous, like our Heavenly Father is generous. It's like something within us is unlocked. And we become the full image, the full picture of how God made us to be. Proverbs 22.9 says this, the one who has a generous eye will be blessed for they give bread to the poor. And I love this passage because I think it gets to the heart of the issue here. See, wealth is not the problem. The problem is when the things that you possess possess you. When your life is built on stuff this insatiable desire to find security in metal and paper, cars and houses. See, when you're walking in the Spirit of God, when you are walking in God's Spirit, each and every day, what, what, what you and I are called to do is have a watchful eye to say, Lord, show me how what you have given to me, you want me to overflow, bless other people and further your kingdom. What does it look like for me to to use my gifts to serve other people? What's it look like for me to have a legacy that is eternal and not temporal? What does it look like for me to put you first, your kingdom first, so we see more people move from spiritual darkness to spiritual light? That's what it looks like to be generous. Each and every day to have a watchful eye to say, God, just show me how you want me to use what you've given me To impact lives and further your kingdom. I love this passage because what it does is it grows our trust in God by leaps and bounds, and He uses our generosity to impact other people. And you might be here and you're thinking, you know what? Why does God need my money? What's the big deal? Here's what I would say God doesn't need your money. You know what God wants? God wants your heart. And God knows that your heart and money, they have this really interesting relationship where they're interconnected. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 6, 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the more that you invest in the things that matter to God, here's the really cool part, the more that your passion will grow for the things of God. Your heart always chases after where you spend your money. Jesus says it would just seem it to be true time and time again. Every single moment of every single day, you and I make choices. We make choices on what our priorities are, what, what matters to us. And you and I have choices over what are we going to, to use our time, talent, treasure towards. Do we want to have a legacy of eternal significance? Do we want to utilize what time we have, what God has given to us to impact lives and further his kingdom? Or will I, our life just look like the rest of the world? Well, we just blend in. He hasn't made us for that. See, generosity isn't something that God is demanding from you. It's something that God is inviting you into. It's an invitation that God gives to each of us. If you want to harness your life and and use it for something that actually matters, that's what it means to be generous. I mean, let me ask you this. Those of you who maybe have maybe been around the Bible or church a little bit, I mean, let me ask you this. In what universe does the God who created everything need anything from you, right? I mean, let's be honest, right? What universe is that? Uh, let me give you this example, right? Did Jesus really need some loaves and fish to feed a lot of people? I'm sure he could have called, you know, Uber Eats and gotten some food for everybody, Right? He's Jesus after all. I don't think that's true, right? Like, Let me ask this. When Jesus is having his disciples around him and he sees this widow who's putting in a copper mite into the temple offering, did Jesus really need that copper mite? He was like, hey, you know what? Offering's down. We need that copper mite, right? We're not going to be able to pay utility bills. I don't think so. After Jesus had died, when Joseph of Arimathea had gifted his tomb... To Jesus so that his body had a place to rest. Do you really feel like Jesus really needed that tomb? It's like they're only making so much real estate. God only does so much land, right? They really need that space. I don't think so, right? God created Everest. I'm sure he could find a place to lay Jesus's body. So what is Jesus doing? Here's what he's doing. Each of those stories is God inviting you to be a part of a story. It's this invitation to be a part of what God is doing to move people from spiritual darkness into spiritual light. So when you give, like when you're generous, when you're putting God first and his kingdom first, it's incredible because God is writing you into somebody's story. Heaven will be different because of the generosity that we display, that followers of Jesus display When you're here and you serve with students or you serve with kids and you are giving of your time and you are sitting and having critical, faith-filled conversations, God is writing you into somebody's story. Eternity is going to be different because of your investment. When God overcomes you with this passion, like, I got to do something. I I want to build houses for Habitat for Humanity, or I want to be a part of planting churches in India, or I want to resource what God is doing here at River Tree. When that happens, God is writing you into the story. My seat is so cool because I get to see what God's doing across all of our churches. And I will tell you, the Lord is on the move. People are being changed. People are walking out of spiritual darkness into the light. They're finding hope and healing and joy in Jesus. And you are part of that story. How incredible is that? That the Lord invites us to be a part of lives being changed. There is no greater legacy, friends. There isn't. So I want to ask you this question. I've been wrestling with this this week. How is God calling you to practice generosity? For some of you here, um, maybe you don't believe in Jesus or you're not really sure what you believe about Jesus. And I'll tell you, I I think more than anything, what God wants you to know is that you are deeply loved and valued by a generous God that God has gone to exorbitant extents because he loves you, he cares for you. And that that when God is your heavenly father, when you have found freedom in Jesus, you experience purpose and forgiveness and grace and healing and mercy and joy and community. And there is nothing this side of eternity that is greater than a relationship with Christ. No cars, no house, no vacation, nothing. All of that pales in comparison to Jesus. All of it does. And so if, you just, if you're wrestling with that, if you're struggling with that, I just pray right now that the Spirit of God comes upon you and you just, you just feel, you sense God nudging you, saying, you know what, just, just come home. Just accept this generous gift of Jesus, crucified and resurrected from the dead. Because God loves you. He is for you. There is no shame in his eyes. There is no guilt. There is no disdain. There is this desire to see you come home. So if that is you, let me tell you this. Before you leave here today, you come talk to me. I'm gonna be right up here after service. Come talk to any of the staff because there is nothing greater than seeing someone walk with Jesus. Nothing. For some of us, this topic is challenging, and I get it because we just feel like life is just so stressful. It feels like we we want to be generous, we want to give, but we, just, we feel like that's just like a distant possibility. But if that is you, let me just ask you this question. What has the Lord already given to you that he's calling you to overflow, to bless other people and further his kingdom? You know, some of you, you have time, that's what you have. And, God's saying, you know what, harness that time, use that time is the most precious resource that we have, harness it and use it to impact eternity. How cool would it be if heaven looks different because you used your time in a way of eternal significance? Wouldn't that be amazing? Some of you here, you know what, you've got a house, and you're like, well, yeah, I've got a house. It just, that's what I got, Right? Are you intentional about using that house to bless others and further Jesus' kingdom? Or are you, do you have a watchful eye to say, hey, I've got neighbors who don't know Jesus. I've got friends who don't know Jesus. I want to just use my house as this hub so that people know that Jesus is so good, that he's greater. Here's what I know. No matter what your station in life, as someone made in God's image, you and I are called to be generous with whatever we have, you know, for some of us uh, this is challenging in other ways because it forces us to confront the greed that's in our life it's so interesting to me that greed and, and, and worry are connected like every time you look at greed in the Bible and Jesus talks about you know what's right next to it? Worry I think it drives it right we get so worried about provision we, we get worried that who's going to take care of me and stuff gets in the middle of our life and I, I just just like you this is an invitation to me of hey you know what? What does it look like to take stuff out of the throne of my life and put Jesus where He rightly deserves to be? What does it look like for me to recognize that Jesus truly is enough and to ensure that I'm rich towards the things that God actually cares about? You know, I truly believe this promise that Paul gives In Philippians 4, he says, and my God will meet all of our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I love that. Because when we put Jesus in his kingdom first, God promises, I'll take care of the rest. And still there's other of us here who have been generous. We have been faithful. We have given, we have tried so hard to align what God has given us with eternal significance. And I just want to encourage you that what you do matters. The landscape of eternity is different because of you. It's different. Isn't it so cool that one day we're going to be around the throne room of God and there are going to be people that are there because of you. You're going to be like, wow, I didn't know you were showing up here. That's cool, right? Because of you. Because you use this time that you have, you use your resources in a way that was rich towards the things that God actually cares about. How cool is that? Wherever you're at, I pray that the Lord speaks to you. I pray that I become a more generous person because my heavenly Father is generous. I pray the same for you too that we are a generous church it just overflows the blessings of God because our heavenly Father is so generous. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, we thank you so much for this invitation to live a life of eternal significance. I pray right now, wherever we're at, that you would speak to us you would encourage us and challenge us as we become more like Jesus. And I pray that what we would see is the the God of greed, the God of putting stuff at the center of our life. God, I pray that you would just just demolish it, and then we would put you rightfully where you deserve to be. Help us, God, to be a church that is generous, a church that when people experience us, they would say, man, what's different about you? We'd say, because we worship a generous God. God, through the power of your spirit, give us boldness to be generous as you are generous. We as your church pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.